0: Hey folks, Yannick Gustala, Yannick Gustala podcast. This is the episode that almost didn't happen, but I'm here uh, through thick and thin. It's been one of those weekends, one of those weeks running on fumes right now. And uh, but I really, I've been thinking about this, really wanted to get to it and sort of share some stuff I'd never shared before publicly uh not that most of this stuff isn't findable out there you just got to know where to look and most people don't know where to look with the way album credits are these days um and i get so many questions about this i I know people say but i get this question all the time and they've had like two dms about it but really i I would say this is one of the most asked questions over the last 10 years or so since my sort of you know public facing profile has been uh a little uh, has been growing a little bit and people like, Hey, we we found you through YouTube or Instagram or whatever it was back in the day. And now, okay, where do we go next? Like what else can we check out? What can we listen to? Um, so I want to go down some of my sideman career, some of the stuff that doesn't get talked about really that much. It doesn't get blown out there. It's, you know, I'm not, Lee Slough or Will Lee or, or Nate East or Neil Steubenhouse or Sean Hurley or Chris Cheney or any, any of these like studio legends by any stretch of the imagination. I don't have thousands of albums that I've played on. But there is a bunch of stuff out there that may be interesting to some of you guys and girls of the bass world. If, you, uh, if you've been following along and you know me as, as more of a jazz musician than anything else, and uh, I don't just play jazz. Um, we're going to go from punk to gospel to pop to country, uh, to some stuff. Uh, let's start out with a really weird one, actually. And it's not, I think it's a beautiful track. Um, and it's, it's, cause we're not only going to talk about playing, but we're going to talk about producing and even engineering and, you know, producing weird sessions. And that, this is a kind of a weird one, uh, that probably not a lot of people know I worked on. I would imagine. The dude whose album it is doesn't even really know. I worked on it. Even though it was a remote session back in the day when remote sessions were not a thing at all. And he was in LA, I was in New York, and he being Marcus Miller, the track being When I Fall in Love, it's this one. And which album is this from? Let me just get this up. I'm in um I'm here. Oh man. I'm in Spotify don't know how to see the album view where is it no okay
1: anyways it's, it's beautiful i think
0: it's the album is called free i wish where is the man it's a real drag I, I made this whole playlist my sideman discography it's linked in the description of the video if you're watching on youtube or the show notes if you're listening um I got a, I'm all over the place here because it's been such a rough couple of days with everything going on, and I'll get into that on a later podcast. But needless to say, I'm absolutely wrecked. I just really wanted to get this out to you guys. So I will, um, I will link that below, and uh, I was going to do a ton of production for the YouTube video and put album covers and all this stuff up, but there's just no way to get this out. By Monday morning, I want to be on time. I want to keep the schedule. And it's ten past ten on a Sunday night right now. So um anyway, I've worked on this Marcus Miller record. I think the album's called Free. And I wish I had in the same window the option to show the album as well as the songs. It's in the playlist. Right now it's number song number one hundred and eighty seven. That's how deep we're going here. I might not be Lee Slar and, and Will Lee, but I have played and worked on a few records. So the the the, the song list is pretty long. Um, And basically what happened was, um, Marcus needed a, uh, needed Gregoire Marais, an unbelievably great Swiss harmonica player, um, who I've been friends with for years, played on my records, and we used to play a lot together in New York. Um, Marcus needed an overdub session, uh, working on in New York. And basically Gregoire called me and said, Hey man, can you do this session? And basically, you know, kind of produced a little overdub session for this tune when I fall in love. So whenever you hear the harmonica, on this track, on this Marcus Miller record, that was actually recorded at my place in New York and um, had Marcus on the fight Really, really cool, actually. I can't remember what year it was. I would still have been living in New York, so this is well over 15 years ago at this point. I would, I would imagine it was like 2007, 2008. I guess I can be doing research while I talk to you. Um, Marcus Miller Free. Let's see when that record came out. Is that the album? I don't even know if that's the right record. It says it came out 2007. When I Fall in Love, boom, there it is. 2007. Wow, so the album came out July 2007. So it was sometime before that. Um, and yeah, Greg Walmare played harmonica on it. Beautiful solo. Let me see if I can get to that. Uh, Marcus playing the hell out of the bass clarinet as always. Yeah. man i'm gonna get super emotional on this episode of podcast because it just in me i hit one note of gregoire and it takes me back to all the gigs and all the recording sessions and the spending time together and shedding and like when he got in the pat metheny group all those years ago and i went to his place to like help him out with a bunch of different instruments and bass he had to play like 27 different instruments or something crazy just Really amazing memories, and I, I there's something about Marcus Miller playing fretless bass, which I think is maybe one of my favorite bass sounds of all. Oh man, I'm gonna cry! It's like, damn, didn't think it was gonna be this emotional. Oh man, well, but it's a good thing, it's like good emotions, like really good memories of, of working on music. And uh, I'll try and get it together. Also, twinned with the fact that I'm totally wrecked, I even have a glass of wine here. This is really super unlike me. Um, and it's just been oh, it's been a few days of uh, of kind of stress and things going sideways a little bit but yeah there's just so many good memories about that and so many great studio memories and sense memories of like hearing those notes and being like oh that's that's where i come from you know those are my people and that's, that that yeah, that's the time the, the the hard yards that's where i spent so much time in the trenches with some of the greatest musicians to ever walk the face of the planet as uh, for me anyway, some of my favorite people. So, um, Greg was going to feature in a, in a, in a few other things, I think. And, um, as I said, I'm not going to play all of the songs. It's probably a massive no, no for YouTube and podcasting in general. Although this is all, I think just, uh, what, what do they call that? Um, fuck, I don't know. My brain is so fried, but, uh, I'm basically using it for educational purposes, whatever they call that. Um, that's what I'm doing. And, uh, you guys can go listen to it. And it's, I've made this playlist so it's all in the same place on my Spotify. Uh, so you can go do the long version of that. And I'm just going to sort of jump around here because there are so many different things. So that's the Marcus thing. That was more of a production thing. And there are a bunch of production things on here. Um, but we'll go, we'll go in and out. There's a lot, as you might imagine, of Bob Reynolds um we go back way back to his first album that i produced but didn't play on uh that was the the um uh can't wait for perfect record with songs like common ground if you've been following for a while then you may know may know some of these tunes the hits as, as, as we, we call some jokingly we call some of them a hits it's only because we play them so much like feedback is like the hit basically um so i i produced that record i believe that was 2006 that was bob's first record on fresh sound uh fresh sound new talent it was actually on a label i think that was the only one he did on a label um but there was some tunes we don't play so much um nine lives which is in nine which i kind of dig and i i keep pestering him to put this one back in the in the rotation because we haven't played this for a really long time And that's Aaron Goldberg, Ruben Rogers on bass and uh, Eric Harlan on drums. So this is one of those records that there, there are moments in here like that I haven't heard. I'm going to be totally honest with this. I I actually looked at um, allmusic.com. You can go and look at people's discographies. You can kind of look at people's discographies on allmusic.com. Basically, it's total bullshit. And according to um, allmusic.com, I haven't made a record in like eight years or something. So right off the bat... It, it tells you that I've been dormant for eight years, which is bullshit. Uh, so it's a little, you take everything with a grain of salt, but there were some things on that list on my, on my discography as a side man freelance musician that I had completely forgotten about. And then not only did I forgotten about them, but when I searched them and looked, heard them again, I was like, shit, did, is that me? Like, did I even play? I had no recollection of playing on some of these things. And for so for the past few days, you know, this is kind of the reason I wanted to get the episode out there because I'd spent the, you know here and there where I could with Spotify and with Google, like just looking for stuff to to, to share with you guys. And I, I'd spent the time, so I wanted to get this out there to you. And really, I couldn't remember some of these things at all. And um, yeah, they, we're talking about stuff that was twenty uh, plus years ago. Some of it, um, so there are definitely those moments in my you know career as a side man that I go like, wow, I just don't remember being there. That is not the case with Bob Reynolds' uh, Can't Wait for Perfect. That was something that um, I very much remember. And because I was the producer on this record, a- as with some of the records, I'll tell you every record that I was producer and or writer on as a side man. Um, with, those, with those records, you tend to be so much, uh, so involved in the process and the process is quite often, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. I'm kind of Mr. Overnight when it comes to that. Like I, When you see a record online like mystery to me it says 2004 that is absolutely the case we recorded november 4th 2004 mixed the fifth mastered the seventh and it came out something like the ninth or tenth it all happened in the space of a week i'm a huge fan of that it, it's been so rare to leave more than a month or six weeks between recording the album and releasing it so every time you see that release date next to an album of mine it's super accurate and you can be like oh yeah pretty much i, I Yannick told me. <laughs> um and you you know, you it pretty much is really accurate that it came out exactly when it said it did. Um a lot of these records, even though the release date might be accurate, you'd never know when it was recorded. So as I was going back through this stuff, I had to really be like, oh, I know I did that in 2002, but the release date says 2007. What the fuck, like five years? And really that is that is the case sometimes. Like people wait a really long time or they just work on the record for a really long time and maybe I only played one or two tracks and they were kind of piecing it together and then you suddenly like five, six years later, you totally forgot the record. You'd even played on the record and then it's out and here I am 20 years later in some of these cases and being like, wow, I don't even remember being there so that was the first Reynolds record I'm on a bunch maybe about half a dozen in the end um of course we did the one this is the one with the hit uh 2011 and this was Eric Harland on drums again um Ollie Rockberger and Aaron Parks shared the piano duties uh John Shannon on guitar actually John Mayer on guitar on this track um who played Bashiri Johnson, or I forget who played percussion. Anyway, if you've been listening to me or following me and Reynolds for any amount of time, you probably don't need to hear feedback again. Although I think John plays really, really great on this record. Um, I got to say, like a little, I tell a story about that. Oh, is my daughter going? I'm watching my daughter on the, on the monitor and she's not feeling very well. I just wonder if she's going to make it the entire hour. She's showing signs of waking up and I might have to take a pause here. Anyway, um, on that session, I was really, really, I mean, you know, it's John Mayer. He plays the shit out of the guitar. He's great at what he does. He's a songwriter. Like He has a, a a, a winning history shall we say of being good at what he does but then you come in the studio with Eric Harlan and Aaron Parks and John Shannon and me and Bob and like a bunch of jazz guys um you know in 2011 I remember he was on vocal rest that was when he was having a lot of issues with his uh with his vocal cords and um he was really kind of low-key he had canceled a bunch of touring and I remember that was like right in that period he was doing a lot of playing and uh he came down played a few tracks on on Bob's record in New York, that was like maybe November or December of 2011. I remember it pretty well. A few days in the studio at Seer Sound with Matt Pearson producing, and uh, I was like, "Well, you know, it's John, so it's going to be shangalangalang Lang, you know, he plays some rock." But man, and i really, I thought going into it, and why the fuck was I thinking this? Like, well, I, I, just wasn't I doubted him, but I was just like, "Yeah, it's probably going to be this." And I had a real picture in my brain about what I thought it would be: rock blues guy comes to jazz. Obsession and kind of does his thing, but maybe has learned the shit, maybe hasn't. Man, he was the most energized he was the most focused on getting the right part he was the most focused out of any of us about like just making it the best it could possibly be and i was like oh that's why you're so fucking successful is because this is the attitude you take to every session and it wasn't it, the playing was it was amazing it was great and it was like super locked in and, and fun to play with him in person and be in the studio and all that but that actually became like the secondary kind of uh the, the really secondary third thing I left there thinking about, like the primary thing I left there thinking about was like, wow, that's how to be professional in the studio. That's how to get the best out of the time you have to do the job. So um, there was some... At the end of the tune, I think him and Bob were trading... I haven't heard this in years. And by the way, this is the album uh, with the Fender Music Master story. I have found Jim O'Rourke's uh, Fender Music Master in the studio at Sear Sound that morning. And uh, basically, there's only one song called Phalanx on that record that I played on a P-Bass. The rest of it is the Fender Music Master. And this tune is the Fender Music Master. I thought it sounded pretty punchy um, in the mix. <laughs> signature leg around man that's like that's serious shit you know it's not like hey i'm just gonna bullshit and do my blues rock thing over this over this jazz it's like hey first of all the song was right for him i think it's not a ton of changes we're just playing over a vamp but mm, i don't know maybe i'm my brain is so fried i don't know how to articulate it perhaps in the most eloquent way right now but as a memory of being in the studio and working on that record um as a unit with those guys i remember those moments and the time john was in the studio um as being very uh informative as to like what's up with someone who operates on that level so yeah very cool session um good memories of course we've got uh the quartet record 2018 man i did a lot of records with bob holy shit um little, little stray voltage action here using a shitload of reverb and the baby elephant and the slide brass slide the whole track was improvised i think that might be the track with the most amount of sp- plays on uh, on spotify as well um so, yeah, that was called cool, 2018. You can see every song, I think, of that on um, – I think Bob put every song on, on YouTube because we had a massive film crew with dollies and rails, all kinds, of like six, seven cameras or something. It was kind of crazy. Cat Alex was doing it. And, uh, yeah, we tracked, we tracked that in North Hollywood at the same studio metallica did the black album is it called the black i forget what it was but it was some big metallica album it's a huge room we didn't even use the control room in the end the film crew bought their own audio gear and we just used the room for the room interesting and then so that one i'm not sure i got credited as producer on that definitely played on the whole record um and some cool things about that i remember going to bob's like before we went to that session obviously we're playing as a band for a long time at that point but then Bob was like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. This going to do that, like trying to make some decisions about which tunes to play. So I definitely collaborated with him on that because there were some things that he was kind of demoing that were just fragments that he was going to throw away. He wasn't even considering to put on the record. And I went over to his place. I said, look, just play me all the demos you've got. Let's just see. It's always good to have a second set of ears. Maybe you're so inside the thing. And it's the job of a producer, right, is to get the, the best out of the artist and out of the music, out of the song, find the gems, weave them together and make an album. I think that's, you know, one of the, big jobs of a, of a producer so maybe i did some co-producing on this but anyway the extent of it was I, I wasn't in the mix on the day we just played on the day the extent of the production or helping whatever it is was to get some of those ideas that i think maybe would have just been thrown in the trash like shift apple delete and one of them ended up being hollywood startup which i thought was one of the more original tracks on the record um and bob had sequenced this line you hear don't do I ended up playing that on bass and putting it in the looper and we kind of made an arrangement out of it and Russ goes and plays these beautiful reharms, you know it's just that was a little 60 second logic cue that Bob had in his computer I just sat in his couch I was like, oh that like play that again he almost like skipped past it and went to the next thing he's like oh yeah never mind this fuck that that's just nothing I was like no that's Something. And uh, I'm not sure what else was on the record like that. Maybe that was the only one or Resistance. I don't remember. There were a couple of things that I remember were really cool. I'm glad we found them. That was a, regardless of what my official title was in terms of, uh, of production. I'm just really glad we found the music and that it made it on the record. Um, there are other ones as well. We did this thing. Uh, Bob put out these couple of records live in New York. Uh, one, one record with um, Aaron Goldberg. Man, what is feedback again we played way too many times step aside which we've been playing re- more recently on tour it was weird to hear it like this like this is mike marino uh jordan Pearson on drums aaron goldberg on roads it's live in new york live at the 55 bar and um i forgot i've forgotten that we had been playing this like that long ago this is i mean this has got to be 15 years ago probably Now, check it out. If you know anything about the 55 bar, if you've heard any Wayne Krantz, if you've heard Mike Stern, if you've heard just anything that happens over there, Chris Potter stuff. Right. There's something about that room, which was there was something It's gone now, unfortunately. But there was something about that room that was so magical. And of course, that's Jordan Pearson on drums. Great drummer. But you could listen to uh, Carlock and all these other uh, uh, Eric Harland and Cliff Armand and all these great drummers that played there. And there's something about the drums that kind of brings them a little bit closer. They all have their thing, of course, um, but there's definitely something about that room that makes the drums sound a certain way—the uh, way we all used to set up, like the, 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 you know, the inside baseball way of setting that room up to make it sound the best. And that, that, that's what I, when I hear that, when I hear that little this live album, that takes me right back to being in that room and playing with all those amazing drummers. So that's from uh, live in New York. And then Bob put out another record, uh, Alive Life. Was that what it was called? Um, And that had like Mark Mark Juliana on it and Keith Carlock. I don't even have that in my playlist. Christ, I'll put that in there. I will find that. Oh, I do have it. I do have it. I do have it. I do have it. I think this is Feedback with Carlock. Oh, we played it slow as well. But do you kind of hear, like, it's two, obviously two very different drummers, Keith Carlock and Jordan Paulson. This is Carlock. But the similarity of the sound. I think the Live in New York record may have got a little better bump in the mastering. But yeah, there's just some real cool memory about that room and about the sound of the drums in there that I love. Um. Now, here's the thing that happens when I only play on, like, a couple of tunes on a record. Um, and there's, like, it's a singer-songwriter, and there are 13, 14 tunes. And I can't for the life of me remember which ones they are. I searched high and low for emails from the producer, charts, demos, like, something that somebody would have sent me. I couldn't find anything to figure out which it was. I even reached out to the artist, Melissa Polinar who I haven't seen for years I uh, haven't spoken to for even longer and this was David Ryan Harris uh, was producing he got me in on a session and I know I played two maybe three songs on this record um, and I think Harris played the DRH David Ryan Harris played bass on some of it and maybe Sean Hurley or maybe I'm not sure but I know I wasn't the only bass player and I only played two or three out of the I don't know how many tunes are on here, 12 or something. Um, and I can't for life of me remember. I think she's a great singer. Um, I've been trying to pick out, like, little things that where there's a little... Was there a little signature moment where I'm like, oh, that's definitely me. Like, that's my choice. Or on some of these things, it's, like, so specific from a producer where they say, just play exactly this. Maybe they have a written part and you're really just playing exactly what they want. Um, I don't think it was like that with, with Harris because he's pretty loose and he likes you to do your thing. Um, and I remember being in his studio working on that record and, and it being pretty cool and us talking about other bass players and directions and things we'd heard and references. So I, I don't know. I, I, I dig her. But it's one of those records, you know? Real, real musicians, real singer, great writing kind of not a million miles from the John Mayer Mayer world. And obviously DRH played with John Mayer for a couple of decades now. And um, uh, maybe a couple of decades, maybe I'm selling him short, maybe it's longer. I don't know. But, you know, there's that association for sure. Um, And and Harris was producing, so definitely I hear that sound. And we're we're really bouncing all over the place stylistically here because and hold your ears I don't know about the balance across the (laughs) these records were all mastered in different years decades by different people so who knows but this is more on the punk side this is from about 20 years ago (laughs) Yeah. So I, like I said, it, from punk to gospel, R&B to pop to country, I've kind of not in huge volumes, but I've definitely been a part of a lot of just for, to actually the best thing about it is, is that it was interesting. It was a really interesting career it has been so far. I'm not trying to say like it's over or anything, but, uh, it really has been so far an interesting career getting to play all this other music. That's, um, that's Kelly Buchanan uh went to Berkeley with her actually back in the day but didn't know her in Berkeley met her later on through Jordan Paulson and uh my friend Joshua sadly Josh Sadlier Brown guitar player producer and um played in her band for a while played on that record um it's called Bastard Daughter that track is piggyback and i'm not sure if i played on um on any other tracks on that record cuz i feel like hang on a second not that one I definitely played all these songs live with her because that was what year was that so this record came out in 2005 I remember doing this session maybe oh three or 04 down on the Bowery in a I, I forget the studio actually but um I, I kind of feel like I might have played on one more song but again I don't know and I haven't spoken to her in a long time as well but we played a bunch of shows together around that time in New York anyway. But it was, I just, it's tough, right? Like there's, I'm going to play you someone next. We're going to go from punk to country. And it's that thing with the memory, you know, when I played on maybe, definitely one, I definitely played on a punk tune, but maybe another song. But the thing is I played all of the songs on that record live. So I might be misremembering um like how many I was on on the record so that's when that kind of gets clouded um I played with um did this record uh with a, a contestant from American Idol called Amy Adams not the actress Amy Adams the country singer Amy Adams and um I know I played on four cuts and I played bass on four cuts and I know I also played keyboards on a couple as well cuz I just happened to be in the control room there was a whirl it's a, This cat, Jesse Seibenberg, who I love, he's one of my favorite musicians in the world, has this awesome studio called Brethren Brethren Studios up in Ojai, California, and I am going to get his, uh, uh, Jesse Seibenberg, I'm going to get the name of the band wrong, because I'm terrible like that, um super tramp his bob was his bob his dad was bob seibenberg drummer of Supertramp, and jesse's also been in this in the band. I think bob passed away and jesse took over something like that no maybe no, bob's still alive maybe just not playing him can't remember but he's an amazing musician jesse and multi-instrumentalist and lap steel guitar player he, i think he was playing lap steel on this record and can maybe he was producing as well um but this had nate morton on drums uh who's been on the voice for since the beginning i actually tried to hire him for the gem tour in 2005 and that i think that was the the the, the year the voice started was it or was it later no oh no i tried to hire him in 2009 right before the voice started um for a gem tour and uh he took the voice gig and he's been there like I think eighteen seasons or something. It was like a really, really good move for him. But he's an amazing drummer and he was on this session, so it's me, uh Nate Morton, it was Jesse Seibenberg, I think, producing playing lap steel I ended up playing some whirly on one of the tracks when we were doing some playback and Jesse was like, You play piano, right? Yeah, yeah, sure. And just, you know, plunk some chords down. I can't for I can I couldn't point that out to you, unfortunately. I can't remember which track it was or where I played. Or here's the other thing that we should talk about as well. Or if it even made it into the mix there are going to be instances where i truly believe that i played on a a record because i know i was there and i got paid and uh, you know it maybe even got credited this is even crazier it got credited on a record and it could be someone else there is always a chance that you got replaced you got left out you, you you never made it on the record at all even though perhaps they credited you I'm going to interview my buddy, Steve Wolf, um, again, a uh, second time on the podcast, uh, in a few weeks. And he's amazing because he's playing on so many records. Um, <clears throat> but he has a great story of playing on the last Alicia Keys record. Him and Will Lee actually got a great rhythm section and, and like people calling him up and say, man, you, you're playing. It's amazing on this, on this Alicia Keys record and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, yeah, well, I have to be honest, man, I did like three weeks of recording and playing on every song and they used, I think it was eight bars or maybe it was 16. It was something ridiculous for the fact that they were in the studio for three weeks and he got paid a bunch of money and played on all these tracks. And the actual amount of live drums they used was basically nothing. Um, and everything else ended up being programmed, which is kind of why he's also a badass programmer as well and has stayed employed all these years but sometimes you just never know it's on pop stuff on jazz stuff this is Im- almost impossible like you, you'd really know if you got replaced but on pop stuff yeah unless you got like unless the producer called you and said yeah man everything's great and you really trust them and like yeah man your braces sound cool and the mixes are done and do you want to check it out you know there's the you know unless you kind of got that nod there's a chance you weren't on the cut but let's listen to this amy adams thing she was a finalist in season three so this is going back a ways not sure i remember when we did these sessions i wonder when the album came out okay album says 2012 interesting so yeah so i 'm definitely on the on never looking back and the the next track Unin' in love again I'm, i can 't play more because we 'll be here all night long, but go check them out in the playlist it 's linked below in the description of the video or in the in the show notes also if you 're watching on YouTube, I should have said something before we before we got going. I just threw up a camera, so this is not oh I even left a bloody i 'm going to turn those lights off. I thought I was going nuts but i 'm going to turn these lights off. <laughs> oh so much better so easier that's brutal on the eyes in here i knew I'd, i knew i'd thrown the fluorescence on to look for a cable all right so everyone listening on apple podcast you, you know, give zero fucks about that but oh it makes it so much nicer for the video and uh i don't look like i'm glowing from behind now um so yeah Amy Adams uh, never looking back i love and yeah I can't I just can't play more because we'll be here all night and there are like 300 songs or something um Like straight up the middle, country pop. See if we can get, heart get heart to the chorus heart.
1: here. Love
0: love, wow, and I haven't listened to this in fucking like, 10 years, and I still remember this. is a sign of a good song, I think. I remember the sessions well. I remember digging this as I was learning it and uh, going in the studio to track it. It's the one getting too nostalgic about I I love being in the studio like as much as I'm a jazz musician and I go on tour and I make these jazz records and sometimes ambient stuff and all this stuff that sounds nothing like what I've just played you one of my true loves uh in in music is being in the studio playing songs um there's like really there's there's something so uh fulfilling about it I think for me um that I've had some of the most fun in my musical career, being in the studio making records, and um, <clears throat> it's interesting. Like I don't, and, and at the same time, as much as I love all the bass players that I talked about, like Pino and and and, and Nate and Sean Hurley and Chris Cheney and like my, some of, some people, my really good friends, and just as much as I love those guys and, and respect them and love what they do, I don't envy um, doing that all the time. At the same time, I think it's. I've been really lucky to have a good balance of that, and not have to do it. You know, it was always, it was always kind of a choice. It was always a nice addition to whatever else I was doing. Which is a. It's a. I, I cannot believe how lucky I, I have been to be in that situation. And when things come along, I've been able to pick and choose. Now we're going to get into. Uh, I can't really know we're not going to get into shit. I'm scratch that from the record, your honor. Um, but as with everything, there are things you do early on in your career that you're like, Oh yeah, that didn't age well. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, of course things you do early in your career that you had no, you didn't have enough experience to maybe deliver what the song needed. Or there are so many variables that go on at that, uh, you know, when you, when you're young, um, and there, there are a few things I look back on. There are also a bunch of things that I couldn't find, things I knew I'd played on that maybe never saw the light. Of, well, first of all, there are a shitload of things I played on that never saw the light of day, simply didn't get released. You know, I've, I talked recently in, in a YouTube video about that, about losing a bunch of money in the studio, making my own records, and about how there. I said in the video there were only five records that I made that I didn't put out come to find out like later on there were 14 or more i'm still finding records that i made that i forgot about literally records i made of my own music that i forgot about that are sitting in a drawer well, a digital drawer on a hard drive that didn't see the light of day and it, the last count was 14 or 15 so i know i've got 14 or 15 records that i made that that never saw the light of day and I know I've been in the studio hundreds of times for a song here and an EP there and a whole album the the other place. And I know shit never saw the light of day. I've produced records that never saw the light of day. The artist was like, "No, I'm just not not into it. Not not going to put it out. It's not right for me right now." You know, some great music as well. Some stuff I really wish had come out. And and so it goes. Am um, I going to play you now? Let's go. Let's go. I did. This was one of the ones I really. Had a hard time remembering Totally different lane Like a Total guitar fusion trio or oh, I guess quartet Quartet, there's some organ there Yeah, I had a really hard time remembering like where I'd done that, when I'd done that, who was on the record. I had to do some research, but there are some random ones like that. And that's from like 20 years ago. Um, random little pop situation. This I think came out in 08 or 09, but it was maybe the only song I played on for Jem in all the years I worked with her. I only ended up on one song. One song, that, yeah, there's another one. I went in the studio, did four songs, only one song came out, so I know there are three sitting on the cutting room floor somewhere. The storm is in and shit, I don't, the bass doesn't come in to d- until, like, I
1: have to stay until I pray. right there,
0: 40 seconds.
1: I wish that all these things would go away. To
0: You know, and I'm not reinventing the wheel there. Uh, it's just footballs, and I think that was Aaron Sterling on drums on that session. I know, well, I know, he was on the session. Who knows if that is sound replaced or <clears throat> doesn't really sound like him? That's the thing. <coughs> there are so many questions that come up when you hear this stuff back. Um, a couple of Kazumi Watanabe albums. I think this is from over a decade ago. I think that's El Negro on drums. I know that Orecio um, El Negro Hernandez played half the record. And, uh, yeah. And that's Obeg Calver on the second half. We did two days at Skyline. That must have been 12 years, 10, 12 years, something like that. Long time maybe even more we did two days at skyline made that record Tricoloral, and uh half of it was el negro on drums and half of it was um obed Calvert. and they'd but we'd also played a week at the iridium in new york a year or so before and they'd kind of split that as well so we did an album in the studio and then we did a live album it's all in japanese here so so i don't know that i can't read the names of the songs but it's all in the playlist you guys can check it out. Um And we toured with that band. We toured with that band in Japan. Actually, I toured with that band, both with Obed Calvera on one tour and El Negro on one tour. Maybe... Oh, I can't remember. Let's see, that's the other thing, is my memory's going a little bit. Like, it sort of gets blurred. I can't begin to imagine. Like, you look at, like... You know Lee Sklar or someone who's played on thousands of it's like how is the how is it even possible to remember five percent of what he's played? on? I'd love to talk to him about that. I'm sure it's a fascinating process, like cataloging it all away. And I'm sure he's aware of a lot of it because he's played on some really iconic stuff. But I bet there are some things that slip through the cracks in the in the memory. <laughs> um, damn, what I need really badly is. Oh, man, something I don't have down here. I really need a throat lozenge. All this talking is sort of destroying the throat, and I don't have any... I had some fisherman's friends there. I know I got them somewhere. God damn it, where are they? Nope. Ah! Oh, man, that's a drag. That is a drag. We could really do with one of those bad boys right now. Okay try and relax into this a little bit and play a few more tracks um let's see okay so in (coughs) i want to say around 2014 um gary willis the great the immense the the masterful the legendary gary willis who i'm very fortunate to call a friend i love him very much um had a had a uh, had a heart attack no i was gonna say stroke had a heart attack and um I ended up going out and doing this tour um, to kind of sub for him, replace him, whatever, you know, whatever sub. Um, it was just a tour. I don't think it was much more than a tour and a record date, standalone kind of thing that he was booked on doing. And Peter Erskine was playing drums and Gary, was out of commission and pete called me and said hey can you do this thing it was kind of last minute with an italian piano player paolo di sabatino and um ended up uh yeah we did this tour in italy for a few weeks and uh, ended up with a few days in the studio Um, man i don't remember half this stuff Um, but kind of piano trio vibe um and hey, it's always a good day when you end up, when you end up on a record with Peter Erskine, you know, that's, that's, uh, just, mm. see what he can do with a ride cymbal. Oh man. Just at the top of the, of the podcast where I talked about Gregoire and hearing those two notes and it taking me back. When I hear Pete Peter Erskine's ride cymbal, that's it. That is all you need to know. That's all she wrote. That's all you need on the gig. Pika a shot with a right symbol, do the whole gig with just the right symbol, and it would sound really amazing. Um, let's move around. Let's go with the orchestra. I mean, there are so many things. I know I'm going to miss out some stuff. Um, so my friend Sergio Vain is the lead guitar player with, uh, with the Mexican band Mana. Uh, for those of you not hip they are i think one of the biggest selling spanish-speaking bands of all time kind of like the police but in spanish um they're from mexico from guadalajara and i was calientes and and around the place and uh he did uh he's done many solo records but he did this huge project with uh micro symphony it's called micro Sinfonias, and i played on the the opening track this nudo so that means nude in spanish <laughs> and um Man, I actually just saw this. With a <laughs> I'm just seeing this. With, and I have listened to this on Spotify and didn't notice this. I'm seeing this for the first time. When you look at the track, this is the title of the album and then the track, Desnudo, and it says Sergio Vain Santana and Yannick Guizdala. Yannick and uh, yeah, so Carlos Santana played on this track. So it's me and Sergio and Carlos and uh full orchestra. And Sergio... <clears throat> was very gracious and asked me to basically. It's the first track on the record, and I opened the record with this looping thing. Um, I kind of wish I'd had my current setup; it would have been way bigger. So basically, I, me, and Carlos Santana played back and forth, um, you know, over my looping stuff. <laughs> but you know. That doesn't happen every day. That's. So, me and Mr. Santana go back and forth a little bit, and then, boom, some amazing orchestral arrangements. Very moody. I should use this in a soundtrack for something. But it goes on and on and on. it's like quite a long track like uh and it gets huge and big and i play bass underneath the orchestra at the end <clears throat> really fun you know if you're going to play on one song on a record hey make it the one with the orchestra and carlos santana you know. <laughs> and of, of course sergio and sergio played on my uh on my album theater by the sea he plays on hispania um plays beautiful nylon string guitar and so yeah we've known each other for many years now 15 uh 15 maybe more 20. it's been a long time and i was very happy when he called me to do that session and obviously like i said great to do a, an an orchestral thing with santana and Sergio. that's uh that's a, that's a real cool moment and holy shit, there are just so many let's go let's jump back to a little bit of production and production and writing as well so um what a lot of people might not know is I spent a long time back in the early days of trying to be, you know, uh, earn money and pay rent and do all that kind of stuff in New York playing a lot of smooth jazz and as a result played with a lot of different cats. Um, my main gig was with Mike Phillips, who uh, still is an uh, alto saxophone player, and um, I eventually became his musical director and played with him for a few years and traveled really like all over the U.S. and Caribbean and Central America. We, go to, uh, we played a lot of shows um, and did a lot of things with him, and his, our band, like The Band, ended up being the house band for a lot of smooth jazz festivals and stuff, so I got to play with a bunch of different people uh, through that. Um, And as a result, like right before I was leaving the band, he was cutting a new record. He had cut a new record and then hired a band, basically. Um, And I got in that band like right after they'd made the first record and then like I played with him for three years or so and then going to make a second record. And uh, what was it called? Uncommon Denominator. And I ended up cutting... I wrote three songs for him and we cut all three as well, as far as I remember and we did them at the power station in New York with an amazing, We had Adam Deitch is playing drums. Um, man, I got to find those tracks. Shit. Uh, this is, so this is, don't, don't panic. He had this whole thing. Cause my name's Yannick and he had this, uh, Yannick don't panic. He this whole thing on stage it was actually was dreadful. It was my least favorite part of every show. And, um, but anyway, we caught, he ended up... I didn't call this song Don't Panic, but he called it Don't Panic. This was the one song that made it on the record. Um, and as you can hear, it ended up all being programmed. Uh, oh, wow. So Siri's talking to me from my phone. <laughs> but yeah, smooth jazz, baby. I'm playing the melody with him there I oh, know I wrote it and I played guitar on this oh actually you know what this is the track that I played everything on I played bass guitar keyboards I did all the programming and I wrote it yeah I remember that and then we cut this other track I wonder where that is I don't think it's made it on the record did it no I gotta nope nope, nope. no no. No, that's not me. Nope. That's not me. No, that's definitely not it. Nope. Nope. Wow. Yeah, I don't think it made it on the record, but we did this whole session at Avatar with Adam Deitch and... um, I think brad mason was on that. bernie powell's major i know that uh my you know juan, juan pablo caro who's work, who worked on one way out my most recent record who en- engineered my who mixed my first record mystery to me who i'm working with a lot these days juan pablo caro was was engineering the studio avatar studio a and he mixed that as well um G money was that it no it wasn't it didn't make it a record wow see and here i am i'm finding that out all these years later that i i you know i know we recorded that's a classic case if we recorded a bunch of songs and only one made it on um which tells you how many you know how many um how much people will put into a production you know how much money will get spent and maybe they'll record 30 40 songs but only 10 or 11 will go on the record <clears throat> let's bounce around here there was this um who was this ESC records did this mysterious voyages a tribute to weather report there's another one of those tracks where I basically <clears throat> produced everything it's my friend Odin Varga playing trumpet and we did um Scarlet Woman and it was like 25 different artists each did a um, each did a, a, a weather report tune and this was my sort of arrangement and production of Scarlet Woman uh, <laughs> Toss to the Winkle on guitar And this was my first time playing with um, Scott Kinsey Now, this this record came out in 2005 I know I recorded it in 03 or 04. And Kinsey was was burning on this. crazy to look at this list and think we are not even halfway through it. My voice is given out. (coughs) There's just not, I'm glad I made the playlist so you guys can go check it out on your own. Um, Let me, let me get to a couple of things that were cool moments for me just because being in the studio with friends and sort of, I'd assembled this, this team, shall we say I did, I produced a lot of records in New York in the two thousands and I had this sort of, um, had this really cool team assembled to produce albums and, and um I was using Albert Loysink a lot, uh my good friend from Holland, uh great lead trumpet player but also great engineer. He was doing a lot of the engineering. Um although we did a bunch of stuff at Broby, Mike Broby's acoustic recording in Brooklyn, and Mike would never let anyone bring in external engineering. He had to engineer everything. So quite often Mike got credited as the as the recording engineer. But then I always had Juan Pablo Alcaro mix that stuff over at, um, oblique sound. Oh, that's a good segue. Some stuff wasn't on, um, you, you, won't find this on, um, Spotify. Unfortunately, I had to go find this on Apple music. Um, yeah, there was this record label run by my buddy, a buddy, um, Michele Locatelli called oblique sound. Had a bunch of people on there that you might know, actually. Um, I know John Ellis did a record there. Tony gray, Gretchen parlato, um, And this cat, Tama Waipara, this New Zealand artist, this Maori artist that um, I I was working with. Um, Some good memories. And boy, oh boy, talk about why. I mean, I cut at least three records with this guy. And there's only one song out there. Imagine that. And I'm talking about like, there are sessions with Sean Rickman and Andy Milne with this guy that sounded ridiculously good when we cut them in uh in jersey at, um god oh, what was that guy's name i think he passed away the guy who owned the house met, uh it was manfred something not Iker, but it was manfred some german dude i had this amazing studio out in jersey someone listening i know is going to know that place and go yeah i knew that place so yeah i know we did a whole record out there two or three days with andy milne on keyboards and sean rickman on drums <coughs> that sounded incredible um I did sessions in Munich with Ferenc Nemeth on drums. I did sessions in New York. I did sessions with George. I mean, there were just like, there were so many sessions for that guy. And this is the only song I could find. And I think this is from the sessions in Germany. But imagine that. I'm living in New York at a time, but being flown to Germany to cut this record (laughs) Tom was an interesting artist.
1: Started out on shaky ground of my feet, and they be to be found.
0: Wrote mm. some really nice songs, had a great voice. I played clarinet randomly, as far as I remember. Um, that is the Oblique Sound Selection Volume 2. It was like a mixer they ended up putting and using some tracks from sessions on. Um, that's on Apple Music if you use that I couldn't find that anywhere on uh, on Spotify while I'm in Apple Music there's one more thing that I did with Eugen Botos who is ah man is he Slovakian Slovenian I can't remember this is a remote session uh, a bunch of stuff gets done at home these days and this was with Eric Marienthal It's called The Streets of Istanbul I don't I think this album got taken down This I found in my iTunes Like as an mp3 on my hard drive Um, I don't know Dave Weckles on the album And like uh, Frank Kemp Like I think a bunch of people and, And Eric Marienthal And me on this track But as you can hear being able to read music was useful on this session all kinds of unison madness can try and find that Eugen botos project the album was called my space um and yeah okay so i'm gonna let's go let's go to um when I, when I was talking about that uh like doing doing records in new york and having a crew having a team we sort of went off on a tangent about oblique sound but juan pablo caro was the house engineer at oblique sound so we used to use that studio a lot to mix the records i was working on um and one of those was patrick cornelius's lucid Dream, great alto saxophone player that I went to Berkeley with, he was part of the whole crew with Walter Smith and Kendrick Scott who plays on this record, uh, this record is Aaron Parks, Kendrick Scott and Petr Slavov on bass, great band <clears throat> and I produced the whole record, I didn't play on it because it was upright bass here um, it's a fun record another one that we, we did at Mike Broby's place that Juan Pablo Alcaro mixed and Jonas Bostrom did the artwork for it I mean I had the whole crew from the engineers to the studio to the artwork, the whole thing was kind of within the team and this one track is a Peter Gabriel tune that, um, Patrick asked me to like arrange a pop tune for the record and I, I made this arrangement of Don't Give Up, Peter Gabriel and Kate Bush I haven't listened to this in 10 years either. give you a little taste um i mean it's so how am i going to leave out like the peter erskine dr um record that's like the first record i think in my career i was actually happy about the bass sound on and i was using the goya i think that's the goya panther 2 on this one that was such a fun record to make with john beasley uh peter Erskine, obviously and uh, bob shepherd played on that jeff parker played on that record i want to say oh who else um aaron safferty and who's the guitar player i know there's a guitar another guitar player not just jeff but someone else shit i'm losing it um jeff was in the studio i think that Covered it. Oh, steve cardina's playing that as well i don't remember but um yeah really fun record to do some years back uh you're gonna find uh nick Vianas' record in here as he used, used to be my roommate he's been with michael buble for years not a great i think we went we did this at avatar studio c upstairs Man, that was fun. I did some programming on that, and I played some electric bass. I produced the whole record. That's Kendrick Scott, Aaron Parks, Matt Brewer played upright on the whole thing. <clears throat> really fun album. Um, and always great to be at Avatar back in the day then. That was oh, that was the best. I love Studio C. I mean, I like Studio A. That's where they recorded Continuum. If you don't know, that's probably what you see on all the Berkeley NYC bullshit that's going on there now. They always shoot in the main room with 8,000 fucking 4K cameras. Um but before it was Disney, basically, before Berkeley owned it, it was maybe one of the greatest studios on earth. And that drum room in Studio A, maybe the best drum room in the world, um, at least to my ear. But Studio C upstairs was awesome. I really love working in there. Um, really long time ago, like 2000 or 2001... Maybe 2000. It's like 23 years ago. Jesus. Uh, I played on this record, Adam Freeland record. breakbeat DJ. Your your time. Your ideas. No. So again, just... Um, would it have been nice to play on 3000 records? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, but I'm happy that the... Whatever. The, maybe let's call it 100 records or 50. I don't know how many it is. It's a bunch. Um, it's hundreds of sessions. Let's put it that way. Um, if if only a fraction of them made it out into the world, but the variation as I listen back to all this stuff is like it's so i feel very um very humbled by that very honored to have Seen all of these things, and as I'm looking back and seeing it's like 20 plus years ago on some of these things, like holy shit, been doing this a minute, and there's a reason I'm starting to remember all the things that that sunk into my muscle memory back then that I still use today in the studio. And I listen to these sessions, and like how green I was about electronic music no, back no then.
1: And like, I didn't know what I was was doing, you know?
0: And like, uh, some huge... Some huge bass lines that ended up coming out of these sessions and how it, you know i played a bass guitar yeah with some effects and stuff but really not not anything that i should have had <laughs> had i been in the studio now I'd have had a truck back up with all my pedals but just remembering back to playing like th- just the bass into the computer and then hearing how it got hearing how it got manipulated after the fact i learned a lot about effects from that just from the the really having it in my very close memory of the sessions like weeks afterwards hearing the mixes and be like oh wow i remember what that felt like going in and and i remember how i played and what i played exactly but now i hear what it sounds like now like holy shit that's possible so these were like eye opening sessions for me i know i played on burn the clock i played on supernatural thing oh. my best friend Antonio is on this record as well it was nice that we got to play on a record together Um, back in the I was like just next up in the queue back in the smooth jazz uh, years I played with Ronnie Jordan for a while you may know him from such I mean he had hits like this was his big one Um, he did a version of So What and he wrote his own melody This is Acid Jazz in the 90s in London. I grew up on that shit. Like, that was huge for me. Um, So I knew his music way ahead of time. And then he lived in New York. He's English, actually, but he moved to New York. And I was living in New York, and uh, he was living up in in Harlem. I was living not too far away in Upper West Side. And uh, I forget who hooked us up, actually. I don't know if it was my buddy Simon Carter who had been in the band before. When it was Frank Tonta, there were so many connections back from the UK that I ended up, you know, getting me into some gigs in New York. But Ronnie was one of them. And the Jackal, that was a big one for him.
1: The line of Rome.
0: That was featured in an episode of the, uh, of, of the West Wing, which I always remember. I was like, as soon as that came out, I was a big West Wing fan and I watched that like seven times from start to finish. And when that comes on, when, uh, is it AJ? What's her name? Uh, it's Alison Janney, but what's her, uh CJ, CJ Craig, that's her character. When she does that lip sync to that in the office, that's pretty funny. So anyway, fast forward like some years afterwards, like 2000. And when did this record come out? I, so I played on this record, but I also, I also wrote these tunes. Okay. So 2003, the album came out and uh, Ronnie has since passed away. Unfortunately, kind of sudden. And uh, I don't know where he passed. That was like some time ago as well. Um, but this was one of those records. It was like what was uh what was the name of the, I forget the name of the label, but it was a subsidiary of Blue Note, so I was essentially doing my first kind of big thing for as a producer. This is two thousand and three The album came out, but I know I did the sessions in o two, so i 'm like twenty three at the time' <clears throat> it was early o two so I'm 23. Um, I've got this crappy old Apple Pismo, like the old chunky black first, you know, laptop with a two megabyte um, hard drive. It is just ridiculous. No interface, no nothing. And I'm, I'm making this record in my bedroom. And it, it, this is all that you hear is what is what is on the record. This is all recorded on a shitty laptop in the bedroom. And it came out '03. Um, I never fucking got paid. I never got paid. I got like shit for points on the, was like, you know, or made all all the rookie moves and let them screw me basically. And just never had all the pieces of the pie in place at the right time. And had no leg to stand on, had no lawyer, had no way to fight for that after the fact and got screwed for, you know, I mean, actually, you know what I was about to say, it's not a huge amount of money now, but actually, you know, it is a few grand is a few grand at the end of the day and when you do all that work I actually cut four tracks for that record fully produced four tracks two made it on um, in terms of writing and producing like I wrote and produced both these songs Um, and
1: I hired my friends Uh, you know
0: very smooth and then this one and I got Oh, is Horns were Horns?
1: Yeah!
0: <laughs> I wish I could remember the studio we did it at, because it was a nice one in Midtown, that horn session, and I got Brad and Elliot Mason, my buddies, on that record, <clears throat> and um, they got paid as far as I remember. Pretty sure they got paid, because they were just on the session, but yeah, I got hosed on that one and uh, that was a learning experience, so <clears throat> I don't, I'm not, I don't listen back to that too fondly in terms of the overall experience, but I, I loved Ronnie, he was kind of crazy, but I, I loved him, and um it was, it was an honor to work with him, we played some gigs as well, obviously, and a whole bunch of stuff, so I forgave him eventually, it wasn't, a hundred percent his fault but it, it 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 was rough at the time it was those moments where you're just super struggling and you think you've got this thing going on and it, it musically it, it comes out kind of the way it should but financially it just didn't work i'm gonna bash through a couple of more things because this podcast episode already getting long and i gotta edit it not edit it sorry i'm not throwing anything up there it's just gonna be chop chop and up on the up on youtube um and up on up on apple podcast so i apologize it's not my normal kind of attention to detail let's do like three or four more snippets here because there's some really different stuff and some poppy stuff um another singer victor simonson and this is a uh um jermaine jackson like the one hit that jermaine jackson had called let's get serious and i actually ended up producing a record for his for jermaine's daughter that never came out horns band the whole thing in the studio you know writing arranging back and forth right all kinds of sessions for that there's a record that never came out now i'm just remembering but yeah this is a uh, G- oh, jermaine jackson <clears throat> jermaine jackson uh hit. It says it came out in two thousand and eight. Mm. Can we get to the hook? Here we go. Here's the hook.
1: Let's get serious. Let's get serious. Let's get serious. All in love.
0: Did that out on Long Island in the studio with Lonnie Christian on drums and Speed Puggy Willie Brown on guitar and Victor Simonson. Remember that session well. Um, went up to the Carriage House. I'm going to really move through these now. Um, uh, I went up to the Carriage House in Connecticut. um, playing the Damon Grant record one of my favorite um, drummers to play with uh, is J.J. Johnson who you may have seen playing with uh, with everyone with, um, with Derek Trucks Tadeshi Trucks band with John Mayer for many years um, with Gary King Jr. He's one of the greatest drummers I've ever played with I mean as is evidenced by this shit on this track damn damn J.J. the hi-hats man holy shit
1: oh and that's Harris
0: that's David Ryan Harris I think right yeah yeah kind of funky singer songwriter record I played on three cuts four cuts I think yeah bunch of singers on there whole bunch of guests um, here's something I did like not that long ago uh, and this is kind of a i was gonna say strange one but chelsea's um chelsea's dad is a band director at long beach poly and they put out a record uh this was like it's one of those uh like lockdown sessions like uh, um, covid sessions um done from home and she was playing on the record and she was also like she did the artwork i think as well And she was playing on the record and it's all kind of in the family and then this one track came up and I don't know whether she said or her dad said like, hey, do you think Yana could play on this? Or she said to me, hey, do you want to play on this? Or whatever. Either way, I played on the record. And um, it's one of the, it was a Christmas album. Happy Holidays from Long Beach Poly Music. But this record, the whole record is out there. And they actually had like, man, it sounded good. Like choir and kind of gospel. And I think, I think the students are involved. Like, I think it's like, the students are the singers or the rangers, some rhythm, like some good players at that school, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and it was kind of a ra- totally random, nice project to be a part of. I played a five string with a low B, which is something I don't do that often.
1: I right there. <laughs> many a night without a place to I think that's the Mayonnaise.
0: Really like the way the bass came out. Give me one star. Just one simple light And I'll never walk alone again at night mm. But it took me back to like doing lots of gospel gigs and R&B gigs in New York and church gigs. <clears throat> I was grateful for that training. anyway you guys can check that all out um this is the last thing i gonna play you it is by no means the last thing on the list i missed so many records but i just spoke to justin before i hit record and i said hey man i'm going to resurrect your career by talking about this record we did together it's my buddy justin vasquez and uh we, this was <clears throat> definitely the most complicated production i've ever been involved in period as a producer Maybe not as a player, but as, as a producer, this was definitely the biggest workload, um, uh, challenging on a lot of fronts, uh, but really um, gratifying when it came out. It's like, oh, man. And it's still I, I tap play before. This is one of the few things I have listened to uh, more recently than the 15 years. When did we do this? I, I want to see the the date this thing came out. Oh, nine. So 14 years ago, this came out and when we'd spent some time on it. So maybe we, we, we tracked this about 35 years ago and then it came out 14 years ago. No. So yeah, definitely New York time, but maybe Oh eight Oh into Oh nine. So. I don't really, I've got to ask him when we actually track this, go back and look at my notes, but um, it was a, 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 a recording of epic proportions. The band was incredible. Clarence Penn on drums, uh, Orlando Le Fleming on bass, Aaron Parks on piano, uh, Greg Marais, Gretchen Parlato. Am I missing someone? Do we have guitar? I don't think we have guitar on this. But um, oh, what am I talking about? Wow, he's gonna if he listens to this, he's gonna be like, "Are you kidding me? We did, did we not have guitar on this? There were like days, literal days, dedicated. <laughs> I'm sorry, Justin. There were days dedicated to only guitar, um, because of the music that he wrote that we had to like reinvent how to tune the instrument and then Adam Rogers had to relearn how to play the instrument and then we spent you know 270,000 hours in the studio trying to make the guitar thing work and it, I think it did in the end, I think it stands up I could tell you all the behind the scenes stories and you just say well it just sounds like a good record and that's, that's the way it's meant to be um, I think that's the way it is, it's still Justin's only record to this day um, so maybe, maybe it's time for us to do another one, uh, but yeah Triptych and <laughs> this was originally called. Co- oh, am I supposed to be sick? yeah of course it doesn't matter uh, this was originally called Peace in A because it's in A and um, this arrived on on the, on the doorstep the night before we had one rehearsal and then two days in the studio so this arrived like on a Sunday night and then we were rehearsing Monday morning and it's an 8 minute and 37 second through composed kind of epic as you can hear And really written. It's not improvised. But beautiful, you know, like... <laughs> it, it's writing with purpose. It's writing with intent. It's writing with honesty and integrity. And when you have that combination of things, I don't care how difficult it is to play or how late in the day it comes to the session, um, I think it it, 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 it warrants um being explored and worked on and boy did we. <laughs> there we go, there's the guitar. Mm. Anyway, this that's an epic um Fields Which I think I might have did he come up with did he call it Killing Fields? I mean there was at some point we had just listened to the music too much, and it was like um, I can't. Re- yeah, but like I haven't listened to that song in as long as it's been since we uh, since we cut that record. But boy, did I listen to it at the time in the studio. Juan Pablo Caro uh, did this record as well. I think Jonas Bostrom did a ridiculously cool job on the artwork. That was like the crew at its peak. I think. Like, this was the pinnacle of that crew. Albert Loysink in the studio, uh, engineering, Juan Pablo mixing. Who mastered that? Was that, maybe that was Nathan James. I can't remember, but it was like the crew at the peak with, with Adam Rogers. And like, I've done a bunch of records with Adam, with Clarence. Like, just, it was really the crew working. I, I can't say this too many times at the real, the peak of that time. It's, um, it's an amazing memory to have. It was an amazing record, and just a time in general to have been a part of. And uh, maybe that's the that's the way to close this because I will start getting emotional again. Because those were my people, and I miss them dearly. And I miss that time of being able to do that, and how often we were afforded the opportunity to to walk through the doors of a real recording studio. With real gear, with knobs that you had to fucking know what they did in order to get the sound to come out the other end the way you wanted to hear it. And I think that's a dying art on a lot of levels. And just musicians being in a room at the, at the same time um, and, and making music together is a bit of a dying art. And uh, I sometimes lament the fact that that doesn't happen as much and there's my wife texting me and that's all going in. (laughs) Um, She's sick, so I'm going to have to let that slide and I have the computer plugged into the recorder. Anyway, I'm finishing up here. I really am and I appreciate you guys getting this far if you did. And I was just saying, I sometimes lament the fact that that doesn't happen as often anymore. But as you know, I'm like on a mission with recording my own music and producing albums and writing and just putting that crew back together a little bit and um maybe jonas is going to come back and work on the artwork for the new album and the new album is happening argentina i've talked about it a little bit before i will talk about it again in the not too distant future so many things happening with that first week of august argentina we're fucking doing it making a new record four days in the studio with the trio with juan pablo with guests with maybe choir strings like just really going epic trying to i was gonna say trying to get back to that time but like not stylistically, but trying to get back to that time of the late 2000s in terms of the productivity and in terms of the energy with which we moved forward and with the um, fearlessness with which we walked through the doors of any studio we were wo- we were working in to be like, we got this, we're going to do this. And it's going to be fucking awesome, you know, like no bullshit, zero bullshit and only uh, and full send, just full send on everything all right that's it that's the end of the podcast hope you enjoy the music um that was a little bit of a look inside uh, what i've been up to for the past 20 <clears throat> something years and um go check out the playlist it's on spotify and it's it's all in the show notes everything's linked there or below the description below in the description of this youtube video um appreciate you cats i really do see you in the next one